0: When Tom set up my laptop to do the Zoom call, I insisted that he put it on a large book so it was more flattering around the chin area, (laughs) even though no one's probably going to see the footage. It's just for the other people on the call and for me, so I don't distract myself like narcissists with my own reflection when I'm meant to be talking about feminism.
1: (laughs) I think that's a really good point, Debs, in the sense that there's a cruelty to the fact that any human face-to-face contact, I am, I live alone, by my four-year-old, and any, any human face-to-face contact I have now, I also have to look at myself. We are That's all looking least. at ourselves.
2: Constantly.
1: During conversations more than ever before. And the cruelty that we're doing it during the time <laughs> where we are taking the least... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's we are so taking the least true. time concentrating on looking good but we're yes. staring at it and we're staring at it and i do wonder yes. whether i wonder whether it's going to affect our behavior once this is all over and when we do get to have face to face conversations in real life we're actually going to miss being able to see our own face and we'll have all learnt loads of like reactions that we're aware we're doing like i wonder if like we'll be talking face to face but we will stop going <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah angling i know my angles oh, right. much better now oh, right
1: we might need to start bringing mirrors out <laughs> it's uh, true I'm, actually
0: because I can never have a blow dry or anything now and I'm a feminist but I miss being prettier than I am <laughs> you know like like a blow dry and someone doing your makeup right. make you prettier than you are and I never yeah. get to be prettier than I am anymore
1: I'm a feminist but I have created a child so sexist and rude that he started saying things to me as he's drifting off to sleep one of them he went Mummy, I love you so much. And I said, I love you too. And he went, I love you more than a rotten egg. It's the first one. I don't want to rinse them all in one go. I
0: really love Rudy. And I think he's just got a great sense of (laughs) humour. I'm a feminist, but I opened House Party, the app. If you don't know House Party, the app, it's sort of like Zoom, except it's got some party games on it. It feels more like you should be having margaritas than a work call. That's the idea of it. And people can just... Jump in. So if they know one of you and you haven't locked the room, in inverted commas, they can just pop up and appear. And that's the idea of house party. And every time you open the app, it gives you some kind of philosophical slogan or trivial fact or something like that. And the other day I opened the app and it said, you can't be angry and grateful at the same time. And I was like, um, excuse me, excuse me, but, being really angry and then discovering you have a feminist tribe who are as angry as you and being grateful for that, that's the definition of feminism. And I got so worked up, I tweeted about it, and everyone told me I was right. And I felt so smug and then I realised I basically felt good about being cleverer than a social media app.
1: Yeah, an throwing algorithm. Throwing out
0: fortune. A fortune cookie. cookie. It, it's like saying I've outsmarted a fortune cookie. Yeah. I was like, what you the have. fuck did you think? In what world did you think you're wise? Because you're wiser than a
1: meme.
2: I think that's a great I've-
1: one, Debs. Also, when you said I got so worked up, I heard you saying I got so woked up, <laughs> oh, no. which is kind of what you meant as well. I'm a feminist, but I've got such a sexist kid that when I, he was drifting off to sleep the other night, his last words before he went to sleep were, Mummy you need to cut your nails. <laughs> and um, <laughs> actually, my girlfriend's 400 miles away, so I don't...
0: Not fair. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but this weekend I decided that I was going to put on some kind of... Even if it was just eyeliner or a bit of moisturiser or a tinted moisturiser or something, I was going to put something on and run a brush in my hair before any <clears> call, <throat> any FaceTime call at all. Because... I Facetimed a family that I know that I visited last year. That I Facetimed many times. They live in Austria and uh, they're from Iraq. And I was to the dad, and he put the Facetime camera onto his little boy, his smaller boy, Bilal, and he said, "Bilal, it's Deborah and Steve," because Steve was in the call as well. And he said hello to Steve, and then he looked at me and he looked up at his dad and he said something in Arabic. And I said to Steve, what's he saying? And he said, he's saying, that's not Deborah. That's not the lady that came to our house. That's a different person. That child thought I was trying to impersonate a more attractive woman. (laughs) He thought, no, a perfectly attractive woman, you know, who had decent hair and clothes on, not a bathrobe, (laughs) came to my home. I remember I played games with her. We played video games together. We FaceTimed loads. That's not Deborah. He denied that I was myself. That's how bad I looked, and I said, "Oh no, it's just I'm just in quarantine." I tried to explain. Bill Al wasn't having any of it, and I said, "Oh my God, I've really got to do something." And his father, was very sweetly, just went, "Well, a flower is always a flower," and I said, "Yes, but it is rather withering on the branch, isn't it?" And he just laughed. He just <laughs> laughed, and I said, "That's it now. I've brushed my hair for every call after that."
1: Oh, I'm sorry.
0: It was quite devastating. Mm. It's hard not to take that to heart. Not Mm. that the child went, oh, what's happened to her? She's not made much of an effort. Thought I was a different human being.
1: On the flip side of that, once for a job for comic relief, like a spoof thing about the Kardashians, I had to have contouring done. And um, Rudy didn't recognise me then either. So I had the opposite. I had like, I had an effort that had been made. And he found that that terrifying. (laughs) I did. Okay. I look like a, I looked like a Michael Jackson tribute act. It was horrid. Oh, fair. Um, fair. Contouring, I'm not sure about. It's meant to be good for
0: photos. I don't What well, makes that. you
1: look like you've had surgeries, doesn't it? It's whether you're into that or not. Um, I, I'm a, I
0: am not, but I feel I should run a brush through my hair. <laughs> not now. It's all right now. I've done something to it. Your hair I'm
1: looks like- so fit, Debs. I'm a feminist, but I feel like <laughs> I have to say Debs. Fit hair, mate.
0: Babe, if I had known about this lockdown, I would never have dared to ask my hairdresser to give me a fringe. Because look what happens when I have to do it myself. It's just limited. this is
1: great audio, isn't it?
0: <laughs> um, right. Do you do your? Have you done? Have you done them all? Or have you got another one?
1: I've got one more. Go on. Um, I'm a feminist, but my kid is so sexist that when we were in the bath the other day, he um, he said, "I just don't want to go near that," and he was pointing at my genitals. And um, I said, "All right." And he went, "It's just I don't know what all that." hair is on it but it's dis- I think that's disgusting. <gasps> He's four years old and I said, Tuppence isn't meant to have hair on them, actually. That you'll have hair on your privates when you get older. And he went, No wonder I hated coming out of that tuppence. It was probably really tickling.
0: <gasps> oh wow. Well that yeah. that that one, two, three payoff really did it did pay off, didn't it, that yes. that rule of three.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh. And you're quarantined alone with this person.
1: Yeah. Uh, do you know the other thing he absolutely loves to do, which has been one of the most tangy tests of my feminism and my body positivity I've ever had, yep, is God. that every day, at least three times a day, he lifts my clothes up to get to my tummy because he loves it so much. And goes, oh, let me go to that tummy. I just love that tummy so much. as is so fat it's so squishy i just love it and he squeezes it and pinches it and gets his face in it and what can you do because he genuinely loves it so you have to go yes isn't it great Mm. i love it too it's great my compliment yes quote your show and it is a compliment And most days I can go, yeah, it's bloody great. And today he went, oh God, I hope I get, I hope I have a nice big fat tummy one day. Look at my tummy. Do you think it's fat enough? And I was like, I'm doing something right. I'm doing something right. That's where he's going with this.
0: From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens across London, The Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Frances White, guest co-host Jessica foster Q, and very special guests Sarah Cornish-Spencer and Zahira Hassan-Ali, talking about Coming to the Rescue.
2: Woo!
0: Yeah. Woo! <laughs> what a convincing audience sound. <laughs> <laughs> This is the Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis-White. With me is Jessica Foster-Q, and we are talking about coming to the rescue. Um, so, ah, yes,
2: at the top, I would just like to
0: say that on this Zoom call, because normally we'd be in a the theatre, but now that's illegal. Jessica Foster-Q and I both have jobs that are now illegal. We cannot mm. assemble people in order to perform for them and subject them to our jokes slash opinions. Disappointing and financially ruinous. However, what we can do is force people to be on a Zoom call with us and make them clap and cheer. And that's what we've done today. So I would normally, these people would be sitting in the audience watching this bit and then we would introduce them. Uh, But we're just gonna say who is on the call uh, because they're our guests for later. Uh, so should I say what they t- I should say what your titles are at the same time. So on the call,
1: I can't wait to hear my title, Debs.
0: Um, so on the call is comedian in residence and chief Jessica Foster Q. I'll
1: take okay. it. Thank you. Yep.
0: Honestly, mostly comedians like, oh, don't be silly. Oh, don't be ridiculous. Anytime you give them a compliment, they bat it off. In quarantine, they hoover it up like Henry the Hoover. They're just like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've never thank you. seen the line. Thank <laughs> you. Am I still a comedian? You message them, oh. <laughs> oh, that was a good gag on Twitter. They just go, please and thank you, say it again. It's amazing. Our first guest today, who we'll be hearing from later, is the Senior Technical Advisor at the International Rescue Committee, an organisation which helps people whose lives and livelihoods are shattered by conflict and disaster. It's Sarah Cornish-Spencer. Woo. 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 And a specialist pharmacist working for the NHS in London, it's Zahira Hassan-Ali. Woo! Woo! Woo. Also on the Zoom, but not somewhere in London, as my clipboard says, but somewhere in Leicester, is the incredible Grace Petrie and Folky Ben.
2: Thank you very much.
0: It's a pleasure to have you. And uh, they'll be dishing a fabulous and relevant song later. Is the song relevant, Grace? Uh, no. <laughs> okay. An irrelevant song. Sorry, I can't br- wait br- to sing.
1: S- I'm excited to see how um, you dish a song. That's what you said. Oh, I really well, like that. Get,
3: get bloody ready. You, we, we, can, we can dish it out if oh, you can yeah. take it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Could
0: Irrelevant and Rousing be your new double act name?
3: Irrelevant and Rousing.
0: Yeah, because I just described it and you said it wasn't relevant. I said but irrelevant but Rousing.
3: Yeah. And I, I thought, we, well, that I I would be we quite are irrelevant good. and Rousing, yeah. hopefully. Yeah. Quite a good folk double act I'd name. I'd rather that than be relevant and fucking downer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, nobody it, needs, nobody it, needs any more Very like relevant,
1: that, totally I frigid. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's that what they called me in high
2: school.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: and we're away. Yeah. So today we're talking about going to the rescue. Obviously predicated <clears throat> on our guests more than us, Jess Foster-Q. Not that we mm. don't come to the people's rescue. We do with our witty quips and... and I've
1: coffee. sent people lots of alcohol and coffee. Have you? Yeah.
0: Is that what you're doing? Is that your contribution to other people's quarantines? You're just sending them truckloads of booze? Booze,
1: coffee and chocolate. Yeah.
0: That's nice. Well, I look forward to my delivery tomorrow.
1: And to my mum. And I think just to sort of, I know a lot of people are having a really diabolical time during this crisis, but um, my mum's so posh that she genuinely put out an SOS because she'd run out of um, uh, tahini and pine nuts. Wow. <laughs> and wow. so um,
0: that's, 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 that's I thought surely the woman,
1: the surely, she, uh, surely she has enough self-awareness to have only told me that that's a crisis. <laughs> so I sent her some tahini and pine nuts. I really miss her despite everything. <laughs> and um, it turns out she told so many people that a number of people have beaten me to it. She's already had plenty of tahini and pine nuts now. I
0: and tahini. Do yeah. you miss her as much as she misses Tahini? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Yeah, it's a strange old time, isn't it? The mm. uh, At the moment, I'm in that place where I'm past the shock and the horror and the falling off chairs and the exhaustion and the just bursting into tears at a drop of a hat. And I'm into the bit where I'm going, I can do this and I've created my schedule and there are some parts of this that are good for me and... It's mm-hmm. good to be able to, you know, silver linings, silver linings. I can exercise every day at the same time. And I've never been able to do that before. Isn't that good? That's good. Silver linings, silver linings. So I'm, I'm now into the point of that where I can see that I've got one more week of finding those linings silvery. And then I don't know what happens on the other side of that. I'll be honest. And I don't think anybody yeah. knows what happens when the human race effectively is locked up for three months.
1: Yeah. It's a funny thing, isn't it? It goes from... Um... A sort of predication towards moral indignance towards mm. anybody who's not behaving absolutely perfectly during this time. <laughs> and then around now is, I think, when people start going, I just remembered how impatient I am. <laughs> mm. And it's um it's a tricky old uh, tightrope. Well, I mean, obviously, we all know what the right thing to do is, and it's Stay in!
2: Stay, but, in. Um, stay in. Stay
1: it's, in. It's easy. It's not complicated. Have
2: um, you seen
0: that Goody Proctor meme? Because no. Of, because in The Crucible... Goody Proctor is accused of being a witch. There's a meme that's like, I saw Goody Proctor in the non-essential island in Tesco. It's sort of like how people are currently <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. turning on their neighbours and saying, I saw Goody Proctor leave her house more than once today and she yeah. didn't keep a good social distance. But I did the other day after going to Regents Park just say... I saw Goody Proctor recklessly give someone coronavirus today on her run in Primrose Hill. Because I thought that's the other side of it, is yeah. that we are all trapping ourselves indoors. And a mate of mine today sent me a video of her neighbour having a daytime rave. Just like loads of people over and pounding music. And I was like, come. No. on. And she's just relentlessly staying in a house, doing all the right yeah,
1: things. Yeah, that, that would make me raging. I do get raging at things like that. Some um, raging, you need to, go to rave in...
0: and burn it off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the only times I've seen, because I live in South East London, the only times I've seen physical contact behaviour I've not seen any parties or anything like that where I live in Catford you know that everybody's self-isolating because outside if I go into my back garden which I know I'm very lucky to have uh, at a weekend I could hear like five different types of reggae dubstep loads of different types of music and smell at least three different distinct strains of skunk so I know that everybody's staying in and that's (laughs) great Um, but I have witnessed some contact like physical contact when I've been out I'm not going out even every day because I've got a garden so i feel like i don't need to but when i've taken my kid for a walk or whatever and you see people like fist bumping or occasionally someone i saw someone go up on a bicycle to someone in a car and shake hands and every time i've been like <gasps> like that and then i've realized they're doing a drug deal and actually i think for some people that is essential
0: that is the thing because how do you do a socially distanced drug deal and i think the government should say <laughs> drugs are temporarily legal and this is how you deal them. You leave this on the doorstep. You can, yeah. you know, you can throw the money into the backseat of the car. Like, I think they just need to be realistic about this. If people are going to do drugs at any point, it's going to be during the quarantine. Yeah. So why I'm, don't we And just I'm going to say that It sounds like
1: it's not about you, but you know, when you're like, I've got this friend who, but I have genuinely got a friend who um, got, whose drug dealer throws it in a window. Like they, 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 they like anti back the bag and then chuck the weed through the window. And I wow. think that's, but and how she did they get w- the money? She, she, backs. Um And she was like, um, Yeah, she and and I we were talking about you know people who aren't who still aren't social distancing and stuff. And she was like, "My drug dealer's got no GCSEs, and he knows to stay in and lob my weed through the bedroom wow. window <laughs> covered wow. in dental."
0: That's amazing. And just to yeah. be clear, I also know some very posh drug dealers. So we're not saying all drug dealers don't have any GCSEs. Just this one. <laughs> Um, yeah. some no, of the I'm probably,
1: talking about a specific one.
0: A specific drug dealer. I yeah. don't want anyone writing in and going, "Don't stereotype drug dealers." I'm a drug dealer, and I've got loads of GCSEs and On any
1: other podcast, Deborah, the host would chip in at this point and say, "I'm not condoning drug taking." Whatever. <laughs> no, but you chip in and say, <laughs> "Not all drug dealers." <laughs> Hashtag not all drug dealers. That's where I'm you remember with that.
0: Digitalisation <laughs> and yeah. the. I don't want Amazing. anyone prejudging the education the drug don't
1: we even say dealer. drug dealers anymore, Deborah. I think we say cheerfulness workers.
2: <laughs> I'm telling <you. laughs>
0: What was I going to say? Oh, okay. Is this coming to the rescue episode? Yes.
2: <laughs>
4: yes, a
0: different type of to rescue. The rescue. If you have any really mild MDMA that won't lower my immune system, please drop it off in Camden. It's true though I heard that MDMA lowers your immune system so we can't take it at the moment and it's just the very time. When it would be great to... I
1: couldn't disagree more. I genuinely think the sales of MDMA must have gone through the floor because who, at the moment, would want to want to cuddle even more?
0: Well, I just think you could cuddle your cat or something like that. So you just want to feel happy and flirty. They're not going to give you
1: a head rub, are they?
3: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we've been, cud- we've been cuddling along. each other a lot yeah. over here in Leicester. We've, been, we've yeah. introduced hourly cuddles. Yeah. <laughs> Have you? Oh. Grace
2: and
3: spooky like, Ben are already by cuddling, by so
0: just throw just some MDMA in the mix. Grabbing Ben
3: every time he walks past me. Yeah. Know, well, yeah. please, grace please is throw come some, some MDMA MD in MD the, the mix. Woman, somebody I'm might.
0: telling yeah, you.
3: There but for, You know, it, by the grace of God, throw some MDMA <laughs> MD in the mix. Anyway, <laughs> cut
5: all this. I think you might need to rename the show and call it Rescue Remedies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. That's a really good idea, Zahira. Are you allowed
0: as a pharmacist... The NHS to be on a podcast talking so deeply about illegal narcotics? No uh, shit.
2: No, she's a pharmacist.
0: She's a pharmacist. Can you get us any very good legal ones that are just almost as good as the illegal ones?
5: I'm afraid not.
0: (laughs) She cannot. She's
5: officially said on
0: this podcast that she can't. So if that's not an honest pharmacist I don't know who is
3: I think that's we're gonna
0: call it if you need us us to cut all of this out we will Zahira we understand your responsibility (laughs) to the community during a global pandemic (laughs) so our theme is to the rescue and because we don't have an audience to do stand-up comedy for no offense posse I thought I'd do an old-fashioned guilty feminist challenge because then I could sort of you know So this week, I challenged myself to come to the rescue. Now, not in the really important ways or urgent ways that Zaheer and Sarah are coming to the rescue, but I've got a lot of friends with children. I've got some godchildren and some nephews and nieces and that kind of thing, and also just mates with children. And I've really noticed how difficult it seems to be having them in your house all of the time, like relentlessly in your house, never going out to be minded by another human. It can't go to the grands, can't go to school, can't go to a friend's house. I mean, that is one relentless sleepover you're having with a five-year-old for fucking ever. It's just day after day after day of that same very small human. So I thought Tom and I should as people who do not have children should do something to come to the rescue and do something fun for kids. Cause it's not just for the parents. It's actually the children as well. I just feel like they're not having a very fun Easter break or they can't go and see their family. They can't have friends over for the you know, probably for the summer. They're not going to be able to have friends coming, going. So I thought Tom and I should create a scavenger hunt. Tom didn't know anything about it when I started telling people we were doing it, but he found out when I gave him jobs So uh, the scavenger hunt for children went like this. Uh, We created a list of things that the children had to do. Uh, So normal scavenger hunt would be things like find a certain kind of leaf, find a certain kind of pen or something like that. We decided to do one that you could do during lockdown. And so we had creative tasks like um, create a scene from your favorite movie and video it, or uh, draw a picture of the Easter monster. Get a photograph of a grown-up dressed as an Easter bunny. And Grace Petrie's Sorry, looking really... Easter
3: monster? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah don't knock is... that, Grace, because actually I joined in with my kid and that was our best round.
0: It was sort of like the idea is you have to imagine what the Easter monster oh, would look like. Cool,
3: cool, cool.
1: No, yeah. I wasn't knocking. In a four-year-old's I head. I was, this, thinking, yeah.
3: all, I was thinking all of my life have I been thinking the Easter bunny was something... Good. <laughs> I was like, have I been like not in on a bit? Have you never like, heard of it, these titles? I thought stuff? it was a bunny and everyone else thought it was someone yeah. uh-uh. like it, like suddenly it, suddenly I was gonna find out that uh, Santa Claus is called Santa Paul or something.
1: Sorry, go on. Or that it turns out the bunny was like, uh oh, yeah, another Me Too disaster. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: um
0: so are you suggesting that used <laughs> yeah, bunny Easter canceled. bunny is cancelled? Oh, God. One way <laughs> ticket to cancel town. One way ticket to cancel Grace <laughs> favourite expression. One way ticket to cancel town. The <laughs> name of her upcoming tour. Um, and we told everyone to be on the Zoom call at the same time. And we had, uh, I'm telling you about this listeners because you might want to do it with your kids. We gave them one hour. They had a ticking clock. And the rules were that you, we had 12 things they could get, but they should go after the ones that they were most excited about because they were children of different ages and different interests and it, they were going to be judged on uh, creativity as much as quantity. And the two most important, well, the most important rule was they were in charge. So if the parents agreed to play and help, they could help. But if the parents tried to take over, the children had the right to say, thank you very much for your suggestions, but I'm in charge. Yeah. So you Can I tell you me? what that led to in my house, <laughs> how, how What did that lead to in your house?
1: At one point, Rudy stopped for a piss in the garden, just did it in the garden, and then spent the next half hour just in his pants, but with the trousers still on, but just around his ankles. Didn't send you those photos, did I?
0: <laughs> no, you did, not. you did not. Jess sent in some brilliant videos. None of them were like that. And they shouldn't. Don't put those in the cloud. This Um, was
1: so brilliant, by the way. It was the funnest thing of our whole Easter weekend. And do you know what? On top of. So oh, I'll let you finish and then I, I will say talk about it from my point of view.
0: The only thing, other thing I wanted to say really was that um but we had two safe words for the
1: parents. Because I I knew some of the parents, so I knew some of the This was so Debs, around. this is so guilty feminist that there were safe words in the children's <laughs> scavenger hunt. It was, most, children it was the most it was the most peak guilty feminist words. thing that I've ever done outside of doing the guilty <laughs> feminist <laughs> that there were safe words for triggering. Mm -hmm. In the middle of a children's scavenger hunt. (laughs) No,
0: the safe words were more for the parents because if you put the children in charge, the parents Mm. have to have safe words. One was uh, red, and the safe word red meant that the child was doing something dangerous because I thought if the child says, right, I'm going to recreate my favourite movie, which is Superman, I'm going to jump off the roof, (laughs) I'm in charge, you can't stop me. Obviously, that ruins the whole Easter week. (laughs) Deborah. That is
1: every day.
2: (laughs) But now you've got a safe word.
0: Now you've got a safe word. Thank me every day. I I expect an every day thank you for this. And the other safe word was yellow. And that meant you are doing something to your parent or another grown-up in the house that they do not consent to. So if one of the tasks is, um, that's the most popular almost thing, was a photograph of a grown-up dressed like the Easter Bunny. And that meant they got to dress the grown-up up. I just wanted to introduce the idea of consent that if they are like, actually, could you just get that off my head now? No, I do not consent to being (laughs) shoved in a wardrobe. You know, they can say yellow or if they're doing something to family property. Deborah, that is every hour. (laughs) (laughs) I I hoovered
1: half my house today with four stone of child on my back. Like with his arms around my neck, going, "Okay, I've I've had enough. and cut it down from five. That's really that's really hurting now." Did you not try the safe It to was nice words? to be able to just say yellow for one hour one day.
0: Yellow. You need a safe word with children. That's all anyone's ever needed. i fixed it. i fixed parenting. <sighs> so, okay <Solved>. Great. Right.
1: <laughs> oh, I feel like um, Grace did when she found out about the Easter Monster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh,
6: <laughs> no, small children are awful
0: I absolutely yes. Thank eaten. you Thank They are really, you. really awful They get better though They get better And then they get worse Fingers Then they crossed. get better Then they get worse mm. And then eventually They turn into someone That when your name comes up On <laughs> their phone then go, eventually uh... You're
1: dead <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well there's that There's that uh, But no you have, in, you have the future To look forward to In which Rudy's in his 20s And when it says mum On his phone He goes Oh god You've got that To look forward to right. Where he, he rejects your calls And rolls his yeah. eyes Good times. Um, uh, But at least to be off your back, literally. Um, Yeah, anyway, so that was the idea. Because I also thought I don't want children sort of, you know, spilling all the cornflakes into a bin when no more cornflakes can be got from uh, the supermarket. And it was really, really fun. They all got certificates for, you know, categories that they'd done well in and stuff like that. And tonight we are stuffing jiffy bags uh, full of prizes so that they get something in the post as well because we thought – it's not much fun when no one comes to play. So at least if you have a bag of prizes coming, that's exciting.
1: So, that so awesome. And it was so fun to do. It was extremely fun to do. And when so we first messaged about it, I was like, mm, I didn't know if my kid is going to be old enough to like get anything out of it because also i've had a, a, a steep learning curve in the sense that i have a four-year-old and um, facetimers and that is a strong oh. to him it's like well your attention somewhere else he doesn't understand that that person i don't think is really there mm. talking to him now with a four-year-old basically you still have to go right now we're going to do this thing he can't listen to an instruction he's not clever enough to do joe wicks uh i've just had the shit kicked out of me at 9 a.m for half an hour for two weeks like it's not I understand that the man is Jesus reborn. And I was like, ah, is this going to be really stressful? We've got to give it a go. But um, on the caveat that we just drop out if he can't do it or it's stressful. But what a lovely idea. Let's give it a go. And I tell you what, like he we both loved it. it. was The hour went like that. I think especially when you've got like a four-year-old, you're not going to be competitive about it. There's old, For older kids, the idea of the clock ticking and the competition is when you've got a concept of time is so exciting. Whereas with him, we just probably did about four or five of the things. But it was so fun. And you did it so nicely that we did like a bit of maths, a bit of art, a bit of... Like, it was a p- quick piss in the garden, but, like, we did it all <laughs> quick. It the yes, we did it.
2: it wasn't.
1: It wasn't. It was all very nice tasks. But, like, there was something for everyone. But what's even better about it, Debs, is not only did we spend a lovely hour that I then was like, get in. Yes, you can watch the fucking telly. Yes, mm. you can. we've done activities I'm going to sit now. in the garden mm. on my own. Mm. Um, you also win, <laughs> the, you win the caregiver. <laughs> yeah, uh, you win the caregiver like, at least an hour, half an mm. hour, at least half an hour to an hour is guilt-free wave. alone <laughs> time afterwards. And you've given me something that makes me look like a better parent than I am to tell all the other families I know and all the grandparents about because I could talk for ages about this scavenger hunt that we did. Andy's got a little certificate that he bloody loves because he did the funniest joke in the doctor challenge.
0: Well, the thing is, he did have the funniest joke. He was the only child to win a funniest joke because he was the only child that made a joke. He didn't um, know I, he
1: was making a joke, Debs. I do hope you realise that. He, he was did. just, um, di- giving he's me a terrible got, diagnosis.
0: He's got a really good sense of humour. That child Ooh. knew he was making a joke. So one Ooh. of the things they had to get was something a doctor or a nurse would use and extra points if there was clapping for the NHS in the video. And so he had a stethoscope, a kid's stethoscope on, and he put it on Jess's heart and he went, mm, can't hear anything. I'm sorry, you're dead.
1: <laughs> yeah, he went, no, I, I like, I'm, I'm clapping for the NHS And he went There's no heartbeat You're dead That's a joke I'm sorry That child was joking
2: And it's like a baby chortle Jess I, That's what I thought I thought he's
0: won a comedy award Jess will be thrilled
2: It was the only
1: joke I will not be thrilled I wanted to be an accountant <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I'm giving him enough attention that he doesn't choose this for a job. Christ, he can be so useful, Debs.
0: <laughs> maybe he'll be a doctor. Maybe he'll. Maybe his diagnosis will be um, a stethoscope's broken. You are dead. Um, yep. When you say you weren't competitive, you were jubilant though. Um, I was jubilant when, when he got his sums right.
1: I was jubilant because do you know what? So often he is not an intelligent boy.
0: Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> four. And he, it was a I mean, coin challenge. I to, four it to be,
1: Einstein. It was six so coins that again, add like, less than
0: 20p yeah. was one of the things. And Jess was videoing him counting, like, and that's five, and five plus ten is, and he went 15, and she just went,
1: get in! Yes. Like, that it was so funny. Oh, honestly, because... The rest of the time he's telling me that he can see coronavirus and that he can <laughs> touch whatever he wants because he can see it and he knew there wasn't any corona on that. And then I told you this when we did on the new normal thing, but he, the same day where he decided he could see coronavirus, he pole danced in front of two policemen on a horses. Um, he pole danced around a light. <laughs> like you know, street light pole dance around it, shouting, oh, "I'm catching corona." That was embarrassing. And when I, had a, I bollocked him for that, he said, "It's an accident." The whole pole dancing and singing was an accident. And then we got home, and then we had a bath that night. And he went, "Mummy, I've just seen your uh, tuppence. Bad news. It's got corona on it." <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: He's a god sense of humour. He is your son. So yeah, yes.
1: I'm He's really happy when he gets a sum right. <laughs> I need something to be proud of
3: <laughs> are you, sh- are you sure are you sure he can't see coronavirus because um <laughs> well that's what have I you ever said seen the sixth sense because <laughs> <that's what laughs> you know maybe that's i'm just saying maybe he, can. he got the
1: seventh yeah. sense <laughs> well, <laughs> and he could at the end that he could
3: see coronavirus all along that's it bruce willis yes. is coronavirus. He, he, could, he could be the one curing the world mm.
6: with his special yeah yeah yeah, powers, yeah. get him get him get him on bloody chris witty yeah yeah
0: So, our guest today, as I've told you, uh, one is the senior technical advisor at the International Rescue Committee, the other is a specialist pharmacist working for the NHS. Please, please give a huge welcome to Sarah Cornish Spencer and Zahira Hassanale. So, first of all, Zahira, the NHS workforce, I am not sure who it really includes. So, we know nurses are often given great precedence and the majority of them are female. But what about other staff? And what's the gender makeup in terms of feminism?
5: Yeah, I mean, we all know that there's doctors and nurses and I mean, lots of people didn't even know that I existed. But we forget very important characters like our porters, which take our Mm -hmm. patients for tests, our dieticians, our healthcare assistants, because without them, the nurses wouldn't be able to do a lot of the jobs that they do. So that. There is loads of staff that make up you know the hospital. It's just not what you know we traditionally know as just doctors, nurses. We've got our cleaners too, our catering staff which actually come on the ward and During a pandemic like we do have, it's very hard feeding patients who are unwell and how do you feed someone? Mm. I mean, how do you sterilize plates and and knives and forks and there's There's a lot of logistics that go behind the scenes that people forget about. You know, it's funny you should ask about the workforce in terms of how many men and women. I was actually reading a report the other day from December 2019, and it's almost 50-50, which is really interesting. And it takes you, you know, to all kinds of gradings of jobs really high up, Mm -hmm. um, you know, down to sort of basic grade uh, professionals. And we are at an age where it's I mean, women are playing a very big role just as men are. But we also have to remember that there are certain jobs that there are more men working. For example, your porters, they are predominantly men. You look at your nursing force, they are predominantly women. But not to say that men or women can't do these different jobs. So what's um, it
0: like working for the NHS at the moment? I mean, what's the feeling there? When we all come out and applaud on a Thursday... I've seen some NHS staff saying they really, really have been moved by that. And I've actually
5: seen videos of people crying. I mean, it, it was moving for me when my family did it. And, you know, you stand outside and you can hear people down the street. You can't see everyone, but you can hear them. And it's, it's heartwarming to know that everyone who's staying indoors is supporting you. Mm. Because, I mean, I go to work every day. And at first it's scary, you know, going in the underground. And it's literally like being in some kind of zombie film. But the more you think about it, the more you realise that everyone's with you. There's no one there, but they're not there because they're supporting us. I mean, it's great that everyone's clapping and the public are supporting us, but we need a lot more support than just claps. And that's something that, you know, lots of people are raising money for because we do need equipment. We do need PPE.
0: What's PPE? We've heard a lot about PPE, but can you break that down?
5: so PPE is um the protective gear that we wear and PPE hasn't just started happening you know mm. people wear PPE all the time in their different professions like builders wear you know helmets and they have gloves so in the same way we have PPE in the hospital but when we're looking at coronavirus we're looking at extensive PPE. so you have to make sure that there's no gaps in it so You know, there's no air that you're breathing in when you're treating these patients. It's all going through filters. And it's not just about wearing the stuff because you need to know how to wear it. So we've got this great thing that happens in the hospitals and you have a buddy. So, Deborah, if you and I were going into ITU to treat a patient or see a patient, we would go in together. You would watch me put on my mask, my gowns, my gloves. And there's actually a protocol that shows you step-by-step step what you should be putting on. And you would watch me and I would watch you and we'd do all the final checks and then go in together. And what's it's just like a way of safeguarding. Oh, intensive treatment unit. Um, some you. people call it um, ICU, which is intensive care unit, mm-hmm. which is the same thing.
0: So um, that's where, if you're really bad, you go into the intensive care or the intensive treatment. Um, yes. And... Uh, you have to have really, really, really protective clothing in there because the people are very, very vulnerable. So they have to be protected from you and you have to be protected
5: from them. Exactly. It works both um, ways.
1: And you are a pharmacist, but you were in a hospital. So what does that mean practically?
5: So I know everyone remembers or thinks about their pharmacist as going to Boots, going to Lloyds. I mean, we have pharmacists that work across the board. So Mm. in your industry, in your drug discovery and in the hospital, You would see me on the ward with the doctors on a ward round because we provide clinical support, um, which is advising on drugs. I'll give you intensive care unit setting because that's quite important in our role. When patients are on ventilators and, you know, they're unable to eat because you're sedated, you're paralyzed so that you can have this breathing tube down. you, You have all these lines which are feeding you or, you know, catheters, which removing your bodily excretions so for a pharmacist you go in there and you're looking at how am i going to administer their drugs not Mm. everything is available to be infused so given intravenously so can we crush tablets can we dissolve the tablets in water if it's something that needs to be changed can we do it so that the patient is still being treated and they're not becoming more vulnerable because they can't be treated for pre-existing conditions But also knowing a patient's history, being able to coordinate when they've come in. Is it just COVID? What else are they suffering from? Usually by looking at their drugs, you can pick out what is wrong with them. And um, that's something that people often forget. And you did mention earlier about dieticians. So when you have patients who are unable to eat, you have feeding tubes that go down and you need your dieticians there to assess the patient, look at their weight, measure their salts and these are some small professionals that come into play in, in very, you know, big ways when An patients are critically ill. Role.
1: I think there was some misconceptions around the idea, early doors at least, or perhaps it's, I don't know, perhaps it goes on, but there's so many people offering advice on nutrition, on social media, celebrities, etc., personal trainers who have no, you know, they're not qualified in any way to tell people what they should or shouldn't be eating. So, in almost a well-meant backlash of, like, why are we clapping dietitians? But, like, it's mm. a huge medical job to feed people that can't eat because there's Absolutely. a ventilator down the pipes.
5: I That's mean, a, that is um, not
1: the medical way of describing mm.
5: that. I'm an IBD specialist, so I deal with patients with Crohn's and colitis. Oh, and God. diet is a very huge yeah. thing. Mm.
1: Yeah, and yeah, yeah, in massive. our
5: clinics and in our meetings... You know, it's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, dietitians, psychiatrists, because these are core professionals that actually help in every single illness, not only in the illness that I'm specialised in.
1: Are the people with the illness that you're specialised in particularly vulnerable to COVID, or is so, I that? I feel like I don't. I wish I knew more about who is especially vulnerable to it.
5: It depends on uh, their level of disease or illness. Right. It depends on the kind of treatment that they're having. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of patients have received text messages and letters from their GPs. So if you are listening and you're unsure, call your specialist and um, find out what category you fit into because you might have received a text message as a blanket rule that, you know, the government is using but you need to know specifically what applies to you. So we've got patients who are vulnerable in every illness, but it just depends what the severity is and what treatment you're receiving.
6: Even on a budget, quality is
0: non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. And Sahira, we've heard a lot about medical professionals can get a viral load. I read a statistic that 20% of the deaths from COVID were medical professionals because they're being overly exposed to it. And that's a deep concern for medical professionals, isn't it? Like I, I worry for those on the front line. I read today that a pregnant nurse had died and that's really devastating. Is there anything we can be doing? You know, I, we know you need more protective clothing and uh, equipment. Is there anything else that we can do to help with that?
5: I mean, there's so many um, groups on Facebook of nurses and, and staff that work in hospitals where we're sharing stories and struggles. And it really is all just around PPE. I mean, this is on the news. You've got the care homes and the staff that are working in the care homes. There, Some of them have moved in because... They don't want to put their patients at risk because Mm -hmm. they don't have enough PPE. But at the same time, they're making a sacrifice, leaving their families and going in there. You know, they're putting their lives at risk.
0: And I heard about that pregnant nurse. I was just so devastated. I couldn't shake it all afternoon. I just kept thinking mm. thinking about her. But she was in the third trimester. So I think they were able to save the baby. And I'm like, why was a nurse in her third trimester working?
1: Because they did that. I think they did that. I heard they did that about a week and a half ago that they said to pregnant, NHS staff, like nurses especially, and well, also NHS staff, actually, if you can work, please do. If you've not got Ugh. symptoms, please do. And
0: our health secretary is saying, oh, well, we don't want people overusing the protective equipment. It's like, yeah, we don't want you overusing PPE. It's like, yeah, if you were there every day, mate, you would have four of everything on. I, I found that really, really, really upsetting. What's the feelings, here about things like that?
5: So um, I work very closely with a nurse, who is an ex-ITU nurse. Um, she's been working at IBD, but because of what's going on she's been deployed back to ITU. And um, she said, you know, usually they get three breaks during their shift, which is often over 12 hours. But because they don't have enough PPE, they're limited to two breaks. And Because you need to change it if you have a break. Exactly. You've got yeah. to take, well, dispose of it. It's yeah, You can't wear it, it? again. Yeah. You know, it's very also difficult for them. I heard
1: you need breaks because it's really sweaty and hard to breathe in the PPE and you get people are getting big cuts and chafes behind their ears where you're wearing the same looped thing around like Saw so that nurse it's just, face It, it, it like comes rude. down it feels like it comes down to an understaffing issue that was there way before this. And I I'm not saying that there was you know, that there's any health system that was necessarily going to be equipped for an emergency like this in its entirety. But it does feel like it's shining a light on an underfunding and an undercaring that was happening with the
5: NHS generally enormously and, and, and understaffing. Absolutely. You know, everyone works extra hours out of goodwill <laughs> um, because we we care. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but, but, they, but no, we, we it's care. just and,
1: infuriating. It's not ridiculous. And, it's
5: and when you look at the I you know, the nurses who are working these long shifts who can't have breaks, I mean, you know, lots of nurses are now not drinking fluids when they're at work because if you need to pee, you've got to take everything off. Yeah. And we don't have enough. So what do you do? You don't hydrate. So you're getting nurses who are Headaches. you know, dehydrated, tired, emotionally burdened. I mean, it's a really difficult situation to be in.
0: i tell you, after this, I hope the nurses come out to the street when the crisis is abated and say, we're not going back in unless we're paid double minimum. I really hope they do because people would. People would just be like, you have to pay them now. And I know that the government will probably, we were talking about this this morning on uh, Robin Inson, Josie Long's show, but the government might go, we, of course we would, but now, of course, we've got no money. But they I always think do I would hope the that they
1: would be fucking mobbed if they dare.
0: I hope. I really do hope. Um, what can we do? Because they're, ra- they're getting us to donate money now. We all are donating money and raising money. But it feels like that should be tax. I mean, it doesn't matter. We'll just do it anyway. But it feels like tax. It's big society, people.
1: isn't it? That's what Tories do. But it's big society. We pay we for it should, individually it sh- through it philanthropy. It's bullshit.
0: feels like Six Starter, doesn't it? Like, oh, why don't, why don't we all chip into a pot? Yeah, that's tax. Us raising money is tax. It's just another way of taxing. We just tax people. Otherwise, the people who care and the generous people will give, and the other people who will just keep on hoarding. You know, Richard Branson is not going to be like, "Oh yeah, I'll do a direct debit for a tenner," is he?
1: Gordon Ramsay, <laughs> you know, you don't have to furlough your staff. So yeah. Gordon, Gordon Ramsay just sacked his. Fucking <gasps> yeah. no. Oh no! Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, oh, right. oh yeah, yeah big, what a big society, what a lovely big society out. we live in.
5: Yeah.
1: Anyway, do that's know, I, I do want
5: to, I wanted to say, um, based on what everyone's giving, because a lot of communities are, you know, coming out and giving us free food and, well, lots of perks that have come out. We don't need those perks. What we really need is that people need to help the vulnerable in our society mm-hmm. because there's so many people unable to leave their houses. There are so many people who've lost their jobs you know, because of this, that now can't actually afford any food. And, I mean, the trust I work for are really lovely. They're catering for us, so we get breakfast, lunch, and dinner if we want, you know, free of charge. And they've taken on that so that they can ensure that their staff are fed because a lot of people have had to move out into hotels because they don't want to, you know, take anything back home to their families. So perhaps
1: refocus efforts to looking, if possible, after people who... There are so many ways to do it, aren't there, actually, now, through community groups, online, Facebook and stuff like that, but also the Good Map NHS volunteer service. There are ways to make yourself useful and to, you know, within the rules of what we must do, keeping away from people, you can feed people. There's a somebody I know starting a campaign that had some government backing i think where i can't remember what it's called and that's really unhelpful but perhaps it can go in the podcast notes if i can look it up after deb's but um where if you're interested in cooking it's all around the country they'll pair you up with um somebody who's completely isolated who can't go out at all they choose what they want for dinner the people running the campaign will send you the ingredients if you're into cooking and you cook it for you and for them and you talk to them about what they thought about it and stuff like that so there's lots of like cool things like that cropping up that's
0: fantastic And we need to bring Sarah in. Yeah. So Sarah, I know you because uh, your CEO is David Miliband. Can you tell our listeners who you are, what
4: you do? Uh, Sure. Hi, everybody. Hello. Um, I'm a massive fan of the show, so ridiculously nervous.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No.
0: Honestly, just think of it as any other Zoom call you've ever done. (laughs) Well, I
4: do a lot of those. The IRC uh, works across the world responding to conflict and crisis. I work in the Women's Protection and Empowerment Team. So we're working in refugee camps and displacement settings all across the world, um, helping women recover from violence. Um, So as you can imagine right now with um, the COVID outbreak, and it's sweeping across a lot of countries with very, very limited healthcare systems. And then you have on the periphery of society displaced women and girls um, already living in very fragile kind of situations. And this is another kind of challenge in their lives. So I'm part of this extraordinary team of women across the world, and mainly I work in Africa. So we're trying to keep services open, just like in the UK with, you know, the efforts to kind of keep domestic violence shelters open. We We, we know that in this situation with all of the isolation measures in place, which is really widespread right everybody's getting kind of told to stay at home in kenya and, and ethiopia and across africa mm. and these refugee women and displaced women are already incredibly isolated and now they're being told to stay at home and um, we know that the services that we try and provide are are not enough right like it's difficult with the money available to have enough safe spaces to have enough kind of access points for women to come and access the services they need so COVID is now another barrier, another risk, another barrier that women are facing. Um, and the team that I work with is, yeah, is trying to keep How are they going. feeling?
1: How are your, yeah, how are your team feeling in response to, well, COVID and everything on t- extra that yeah. that's provided on top of all the stuff that...
4: It's really, it's really overwhelming. I mean, it's, we're all connected, aren't we, in this kind of moment of like personal fear and crisis as well as what we're trying to do in like our daily work. And it's the same for our teams. Mm. Um, uh, I'm really privileged to work with a lot of women who have worked with us for a couple of decades, like since they were displaced themselves, they've now worked with us over the last 20 years in the violence against women and girls team. And they've trained as social workers, they've worked their way up and now they're leading the response in other countries. And, you know, some of my, you know, amazing colleagues, Marion, Rogers, Esther, Conley, they kept services open during the Ebola virus outbreak in, in West Africa. So they're, they know, you know, yeah. how to keep a safe space, like what it means to like have a safe space where women can come and sit, you know, yeah. in a socially distanced way and keep services open and keep having opportunities for that social support because everyone's really overwhelmed. Yeah. The women volunteers. We have a lot of refugee women volunteers that are running these services. Mm. They're afraid, right? They're coming. They're trying to help. They're trying to keep connected. They're trying to keep offering support to each other. And they're scared. Like it's, it's really like, um, so here you were describing so eloquently, it's tough to keep putting yourself on the front line and to keep moving. And our staff have families and a, or and a, the volunteers have families and, um, and we're all kind of connected, I guess. And that's not knowing quite what to do right now right it's really an overwhelming time yeah
0: so what do you think refugee women are most worried about at the moment and how can we help
4: so you know we're trying to get funding so we're trying to increase the amount of money available the international rescue committee has been um campaigning around you know some of the really scary facts that are out there about like the handful of respirators that some of the countries hosting some of the largest refugee populations in the world have in West Africa and Central Africa, it's a time where, yeah, we're, we need more people to kind of dig deep and contribute to the appeal so that we can try and keep health services going and um, so that we can adapt um, our programming so that life saving kind of violence response services are there. There's a lot that needs to be um, supported right now. I think it's really challenging in a lot of countries um, and a lot of refugee camps where women were sustaining their families with like day-to-day kind of livelihoods that have now been completely shut down. So we're really looking at like not enough food to eat, going to collect water from a communal water point, using communal toilets, going home, a very stressed family environment, increased child abuse, increased domestic violence against women. It's a pretty tough time.
1: It's just so extraordinarily extreme. Ultimately, the most effective way to help is to... If you have spare money, give spare money and keep the ship afloat. Yeah. But in terms of the humanitarian system, but generally, in the sense that it feels like a lot of the things we're talking about in the same way we are talking about to Sahira earlier is that we're what we're seeing now, in the same way that everybody's seeing like elements of their personality amplified, we're seeing yeah. the flaws and the glorious things about various systems and various programmes and various institutions and various companies amplified um, Mm. the humanitarian system generally any sort of flaws or brilliant things being amplified
4: by the current situation it's not going to surprise you it's the same kind of thing that we're seeing around each other here isn't it so like there is that increased connection like people are really reaching out to each other it's a very patriarchal system the humanitarian system there's a lot of kind of macho toughness to it right um, right. my wife, Danielle, wrote a paper called Cowboys and Conquering Kings that is all about that kind of real Wild West macho. Mm. What that like? <laughs> really big up- kind of manly <laughs> saving people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think what's happening now is that because people are feeling really vulnerable and staff are kind of checking in with each other a lot more, we're seeing a lot more of like a feminist way of interacting with each mm. other. And um, it's certainly something that in our team, you know, I was always really... That we kind of put the personal first, you know, we're checking in with each other, we're seeing how we're doing, we're aware of how everyone's juggling lives, especially the women, right? Are overwhelmed with a lot of responsibilities on a day to day basis. Now people are asking and are checking in, and you know the kids are running around at home and you know everyone's got all this extra stuff going on. And so I think that could make a bit of a change.
2: Mm.
4: I mean, it would be nice, wouldn't it, if some of this stuff was sustained after the crisis is over because it feels like we are bringing our real kind of authentic selves into the workplace a bit more. The Um, least we can
1: do is try and learn some lessons.
0: I mean, wouldn't it be nice? (laughs) Yeah. How much, Sarah, does the Women's Protection and Empowerment Team of the International Rescue Committee need the wider women's movement, need feminism?
4: It's massive. It's... Like, we really see ourselves as a women's movement. We're trying to connect. We're on Zoom a lot, too, at the moment, Mm -hmm. Um, connecting across huge distances, trying to kind of come together, pool our knowledge, support each other. And then we connect with the wider women's movements to kind of support refugee women. Like, if refugee women are in a country where they're welcome and where they're supported by the wider women's movement, I mean, that's an amazing act of kind of solidarity, because these are countries that don't have an awful lot of money. Um, that we're working in, right, and and to have the, the National Women's Movement kind of embrace refugee women's rights and to see that connection happening at the community level is one of the most amazing parts of what we do. Um, so
0: can we donate directly to IRC? Yes, absolutely. And that's
4: on your website? Yeah, which we- is in the show notes. We'll and put also, a link in the show totally notes know what it or is. you can
0: Google <laughs> the National
1: Rescue <laughs> Committee. <laughs>
0: Now, if you are listening and you think, oh God, I, last thing I've got is money at the moment. I've been furloughed. I've just been put off. I don't have any money. I'm worried about my future. Uh, we totally understand that. But lots of people have got the same income they had and nowhere to spend it because the pub's shut and their gym membership's been put on hot ice and all of that. So amplifying, giving the IRC a follow, retweeting them, quote tweeting them, post them on script, telling your friends, telling your friends who do have good jobs who are still earning, but, you know, Pizza Express is closed. They're just coming home and watching Netflix and doing origami, as we all are. <laughs>
4: Very uh, cheap origami. <laughs> yeah, send out
0: a WhatsApp and say, hey, have you thought of donating your gym membership to the IRC? Yeah. That would be an act of great solidarity because it would mean so much to them. Just the fact if you following and seeing them, being seen is a big deal. And It's the same with the NHS. So here, what's the best thing we can do for you? Is there a good place to donate to the NHS or... Something else we can do? You said we should be looking after vulnerable people in their own communities. Jess suggested a brilliant uh, cooking scheme. Is there anything else you would like us to do for you?
5: I mean, support one another, stay at home. Stay at home. Really stay at home. But if we can Um, donate to those NHS pots, as much as we should not
0: be having to do that on principle, it's the government's responsibility, we will fight that later and we'll donate now. So we can donate because the main thing is you get to wear that protective clothing because we don't want an enormous amount of our staff overloading. So actually screw the government right now and we will pitch in and it's just a form of tax. Sarah, is there anything else you would like us to know about what the IRC do or the sort of international scene for refugees at the moment?
4: I just want to really get the address right. (laughs) Fair. (laughs) Okay, I'll be like, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at rescue underscore UK.
0: At Yay. rescue underscore UK,
4: brilliant. At minimum,
0: give them a follow and amplify them. But if you have got any spare cash to divert their way, please, please, please do because there's somebody else who should be getting an applause. You know, I as much as Jess Foster Q and I miss our applause and we do miss it deeply, I am glad the applause is being diverted to the NHS on a Thursday night. Uh some people are quite cross about the applause. They say, oh, that what does that do? When blah, blah, blah. And I, you know, you, you should be doing And I think um, it's, it's,
1: it feels like that same debate about like, what's the point of weddings and parties and stuff like that. Like ultimately like regardless of politics, like those things bring groups of people together Mm -hmm. at the same point in time. And it puts a tent peg in the maps of all of our lives, which are all going all over the place. And our lives all suddenly stopped and our pegs are all staying still. And it gives us a feeling of all coming together at the same point, Mm -hmm. the same time to a shared sense of emotion and care. We're saying, I care about this thing. It's not nothing and it's trite and it's unhelpful to say it's nothing, but it's not enough, obviously. Mm -hmm. And what most people can do, if nothing else at the moment, it's a mad time because you can be an activist by just fucking staying in, mm. by, by an in inactivist. Yeah, an inactivist, oh, inactivism.
0: yeah, It is could, though, but also, especially
1: as up. time goes on, I joked about it at the beginning, but especially as time goes on, the more desperate you get to go and see the people that you love and hold them and mm. touch them, just remember it's weeks, it's weeks. Mm. It might be mm. several weeks, but it's weeks and you will be able to again, so just wait do as you're um, fucking told as and I say that as someone who fucking hates authority and being told what to do I just do it just do what you're told
0: I think we need more mothers <laughs> and toddlers to get out on the telly to put this message out because the way I'm you're this saying shit kicks out of me day. day in
1: day out
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and yet and yet I refuse to leave the house Is there anything, Zahira or Sarah, you came to say that you did
5: not say that you would like to leave on the Zoom? Don't wear gloves. Gloves are to be worn when you're doing a dirty job. And I say dirty because in hospitals, we class, you know, wards with any disease as a dirty ward without clean, just so that, you know, it's it's a way of distinguishing. So if you've got a
0: broken leg, you're in a clean ward. Yes. If you've got COVID, you're in a dirty
5: ward. Uh, Yes, dirty ward. Um, Because if you think about it, a nurse puts on a pair of gloves, she treats the patient, discards the gloves. You wear those gloves, and I see this on the tube every day, and it, it I really sometimes I just sit there watching people. You wear a pair of gloves and what well, just normal you, winter gloves. No, you're you know, people wearing yeah. disposable gloves. Oh, right, right. On you're camoes. taking them away, you're yeah. diverting disposable gloves. You've got any disposable gloves, can you send them to the NHS? You wear them. And you touch the tube, you touch the poles, the seats. And then you take your phone and you play on the screen with this dirty glove. And then you take the phone and put it straight on your face. <laughs> you may as well just lick the seats. Yeah. <laughs> you heard <laughs> that you're not doing S- anything. S- S- and then you'll go Hassanali. home and touch your doorknob. And then mm. inside the house, what are you doing? I think people
1: have been thinking <laughs> if I put the gloves on, and, but I don't touch my face, I don't touch my mouth, eyes and nose, I'm helping.
7: But actually, if you touch your phone,
1: you're scuppered, right? And that (laughs) goes. But but in terms of like, if you're going to the shop, then wash
5: your hands. Yeah, because you know, just
1: wash your hands before you leave. Wash your hands when you get home. Try not to touch your face while you're out, and don't touch your phone while you're out if you can. Wear
5: a mask. Wrap. In fact, don't even wear a mask. You can literally wrap a scarf around your face. I did try that, but
1: the smell of my own breath, Sahira, was so (laughs) offensive. By the end of one Sainsbury's shot. And if I'm only having that exciting outing once a fortnight, which I am, I don't want to spend it that close with my own home cooking. Uh, Jess Foster, have you got anything to plug? Oh, I would love to plug. I obviously don't have any gigs going on at the moment, but um, the second of my tour is likely to hopefully be rescheduled into the final months of next year. So keep an eye on my website. But mainly, I have a podcast all about eating called Hoovering, which I am keeping up and I'm getting some fierce and very relevant guests to talk to me who I think are going to say either very funnily distracting or very pertinent and helpful things about eating during quarantine and lockdown and the sort of psychology of eating and or just make you laugh or just make you laugh because we'll sit down in our own homes and eat something absolutely disgusting that's already gone off from my cupboard together so it's a it's the usual spectrum of silly to serious on there but yeah it's, it, a, it's a brilliant and Hoovering. delicious Please podcast listen.
0: it's from Jessica Foster it's called Hoovering you must listen to it I absolutely insist also can I say um, Pretty Patel, our Home Secretary, announced Prick. that you could, thank you, <laughs> announced that you could call nine 9- if you were suffering, if you were f- frightened of domestic violence, you could call 999 and then you could just press 55 and someone would come. And a load of people on emergency service have been saying on Twitter that absolutely is not accurate. They will just assume it's a misdialed call. They'll assume <gasps> it's a butt
1: dial. Oh my
0: um, God. So, I know, I know. That so
1: what fucking person.
0: What so, uh, so what you've got to do, if you, this is a UK thing, gang. So if you're listening internationally, this is, you know, check your own emergency services details. But in the UK, call 999 and then you have to wait for the queues. Now, if someone starts speaking to you and it is not safe for you to say, hey, come and help me because you're frightened of the person you're with, you then press 55 and they'll take from that. You can't speak. But please listen and follow the cues as much as possible because otherwise they might just think it's a pocket dial. The home secretary got that wrong. I shared what the home secretary said, should have known better, <gasps> but of course was trying to you know, help my following, but so did um, Hugh Laurie. And everyone was like, oh, please reshare this. And then he's had to you know, say, sorry, I've got it wrong as well. Also my friend, Ellen Jones, who has autism and talks about autism, told me to pass on to you that they've changed the laws. It used to be you could only go for one walk a day, no matter who you were, But because many autistic people need to go three times a day, they've got some kind of reason for needing to do that or diagnosis. And so if you're disabled and for any reason you need to leave the house more than once a day, they've changed the law so you don't have to break it to do what you need to do. And so she asked me to tell you that. Also, I have a new show called The New Normal. It's a Guilty Feminist show, Monday to Friday, 6pm UK time on Instagram Live at The Guilty Feminist. We've got some amazing guests and old episodes are all on YouTube. I say Old. They're not very old because we've only started it during lockdown, but it's all about the quarantine and how our guilty feminist uh, regulars and guests are coping with it. So check out the new normal. Also, could you please check out Grown Up Land? It is an amazing podcast, and the lockdown special, especially, has an amazing, amazing, amazing monologue from Steve Alley about the refugee experience and how it relates to us now, how we're being thrust into that kind of change. Uh, So please listen to it. In fact, we'll trail a little bit of that at the end of this episode uh, so you can hear it. Go to BBC Sounds, Grown Up Land, and you want the lockdown episode and uh, listen to the whole thing because it's so good. There are two experts, one on um, viruses and uh, one a doctor who's also Heidi Regan's fiance. And it's brilliant. It's Sophie Ducca, Heidi Regan, Ned Sedgwick and Steve Alley. Also, I'm now on an app called Cameo. I'm raising money for help refugees. If you would like me to make a little video for a friend who's a guilty feminist fan, maybe it's their birthday, maybe you're saying thank you, congratulations, anything like that, just a pep talk. I've done a few for people who work in the NHS just saying, hey, you go. You go on there, you find me, it's Cameo, and you find my name, and uh, you say the video that you want, and the money that you pay goes straight to Choose
5: Love to
0: help refugees.
5: All right. Can I... uh... Can I try something, yes. You know, when you did your I'm a Feminist, yes, yes, do go down I'm down a feminist part. <laughs> oh, I was in yes. the for this. Sahira, so do you have an I'm a Feminist part? I do. Um, this actually is true. I'm a feminist, but I missed my lady who threads my upper lip
2: <laughs> oh. because it
5: was so long that I decided to try home waxing and. Took all the skin off. And it's a good thing I get to wa- wear a mask at work because nobody could tell.
2: <laughs>
1: that's oh. amazing. So here, if it makes you feel better, I've grown my body hair from the um, neck down <laughs> so thoroughly that underneath my armpits, i got two new pets. feel way well, less lonely. And then um, yesterday, my leg hair was so long, I was able to, ge- I genuinely effectively used it as a towel.
0: I truly believe that the first Thursday after lockdown, we will come out onto the streets and we will applaud the waxers and the threaders. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we will. We will. We'll be, those waxers will be emergency service. They'll be working 23 hours a day. The waxers. They'll be yeah. coming to your home. The amount of hair that's going to get ripped off after lockdown. I can't even think it's, it's going to be. There's going to be
1: a hair a- mountain. Do you remember at the beginning of the EU when there was that butter mountain in Brussels, there'll yes. be a body hair mountain. We're going to have to have a landfill for it. We can't put that down drains. They'll have to replace (laughs) them. We'll have have just got rid of the fatbergs in our sewers (laughs) and we'll replace them with waxbergs dense with the hair of women.
0: And finally, to wrap up this amazing episode, please welcome the incredible Grace Patry and Fokie Ben. Grace, uh, do you have a relevant song that you'd like to sing for us?
3: Okay. So, um, God Save the Hungry. So, uh, there's been a lot of talk during uh, Corona times um, about uh, it being a great leveller and a great equaliser, and uh, it's not fucking true, is it? Um, It's not true in any regard. And... So I wrote a song um, a couple of years ago all about... I actually wrote a song about the monarchy and how I'm not a monarchist, um, personally. Uh, If uh, you are familiar with any of my work you will not find that very surprising. Um, But I I just... I just think there's there's an awful lot of unequal shit going on in Britain and in the world, and as Jess Foster-Q very eloquently said earlier on, I think that times like this Bring those things into very, very sharp relief. So, um, this is a song that I wrote about the inequality of life in Britain, particularly encapsulated by uh, by the royal family. But I think that it touches on a lot of what we're talking about today. It's called "God Save the Hungry," and I guess that is.
6: My energy's <laughs> thinking it's cool that some were born to suffer while some were born to rule does that make me a traitor? before you toss that word around please understand that I love this land of mine and yeah, it's true God ain't my thing Oh I'd rather sing for all of the refugees Perishing in foreign seas Those bodies washed up on the shores We're fleeing our state-sponsored wars And our leader see's nothing wrong So raise your voice and sing along, yeah God save the hungry God save the poor God save those desperate souls His lives were torn apart
0: Been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Jessica Foster Q and our very special guests, Sarah Cornish Spencer and Sahira Hassanali, with music from Grace Petrie and Fokie Ben. The Guilty Feminist theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Zielinski for the Spontaneity Shop. Thanks to Rachel Proff and Gina Disco, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit GuiltyFeminist.com. <laughs> i mean what's the feeling there when we all come out and applaud on a saturday are, are thursday On oh, thursday sorry <laughs> i'll take that again when we all i've been doing it i've been doing it
1: deb's has been out on her own on the saturday
0: just <laughs> oh. me on my own with tin pans going yeah why is my street not enthusiastic um and what's that din on a thursday night um when we all come out and applaud on a thursday as promised here is as promised is this speech? Monologue? Piece? Yes. As promised, here's a piece from Grown Up Land and it's from Steve Alley, a Syrian refugee, talking about how the lockdown has parallels to being a refugee. It's from episode 70 of Grown Up Land on BBC Sounds and it's called Grown Up Land in Lockdown. I cannot recommend this series highly enough. I know I produce it, but really genuinely, the latest season, just absolutely incredible. Sophie Duca. Heidi Regan, Ned Sedgwick, and Steve Alley. And the lockdown episode is particularly brilliant. It has two experts, one on viruses and the other one a doctor. This speech really, really moved me. I would recommend you listen to all of Grown Up Land, but particularly the latest ones and the lockdown one. And so now over to Steve Alley.
7: When I heard people saying how only a few weeks ago, the coronavirus situation seemed very remote, something happened far away from us to which we couldn't relate. It reminded me of how I felt when revolutions broke out in the other Arab countries, and how to me it seemed like something that could never happen in Syria. I sometimes hear things like, I think tsunamis are worse than war zones, or famine is worse than pandemics. The thing is, you can't compare one bad time to another. You cannot in any way liken this pandemic to the Blitz, because every experience is different. But there are definitely similar attributes, and I cannot speak for all from my personal experience. My experience with this situation is different because I am used to things changing all the time. My experiences have taught me to always be prepared to change, to keep my boots by my pillow because any given moment in time can be the time to go. Many of you are used to things being the same, or at least to being in control of change. Most of us have not experienced something like this before, and may be in this state of wondering if this is ever going to end. You go on the streets now and you've never seen or known the shops to be closed ever in your life. City's lifeless. It is as though we are in a dystopian movie and we ask ourselves, is this ever going to end? Is it going to be normal again? Will everything go back to the way it was? When you are going through a bad time, it feels like it's never going to end. And that is the depressing part. If someone had said to me, You'll have to be stuck in the Kali jungle refugee camp for two years, but after that you will be safe, get what you want, and life will be good again. I would have been like, yeah I can do two years, it's fine. But because we don't know if this is going to be two weeks, or two months, or two years, that is the hard part, and it is really easy to lose hope. When I first left home, I wasn't sure either how long I would be gone for. I was all on my own. And my future went from a perfect plan to an absolute limbo. That is the big challenge. It is when all the odds defy our beliefs and contest everything we know. It is uncertainty we struggle with most in life. But are we not driven by uncertainty? If we knew everything, life would be boring. We wouldn't strive for anything. Take love and death as an example. The uncertainty of love, when it will come, how long it will last, and when it will go, is what drives us to find it. The uncertainty of death hour is what propels us to live. The uncertainty in hope and despair, the anticipation of good times, the premonition of bad times, infused with our innate curiosity is what makes us who we are. Truth is, it's never going to be normal again. Things will be different. Some businesses will not afford to reopen. Hygiene standards will be different. The way we do certain things will be different. But this period will end. And in the same way that for me, things aren't normal now and they never went back to the way they were. New things happened and some things are nice now. So this will end and we don't know what will start. We don't know what the new thing is, but we will get through it. Although staying at home by choice is very different from feeling forced, you learn to adapt. That is the thing you learn as a refugee. You learn to adapt to change and accommodate difficult circumstances. While this change was not a choice you made, it was imposed on you and you had no say in it. You learn and you adapt anyway. The process may be very different, but the outcome is similar. If you are in a life and death situation and you are not quick to adapt, you fall behind. In such situations, events occur at such a rapid pace, an overwhelming intensity that fear for your life dominates your whole being and limits your thinking. Thinking takes time, And in such situations, a second, a footstep, can be that brittle barrier between life and death. You can only think of many people. In our current situation, we are lucky we have each other. We are physically isolated, but we have communication. We don't have to make rushed decisions. We don't have to run. We just have to wait. And as frustrating as that may be, it is a reset button. It is a gift to pause and evaluate. What are we doing? Where are we going? Am I in the right job? Am I doing the right degree? Many of us are back with our families who we have been detached from, our families who we don't get on with. Maybe it is a time to make up. It is difficult to be with your family that you don't get on with. I had that with my parents when I was younger, but when I left I missed them and I wished I could have that time again with them and do things differently. Is this a time of reckoning for all of us? Or is it a time to take a break and put down those weights for a while? We just need to patiently wait for the storm to clear and for the dust to settle then make a move and let our curiosity conquer whatever uncertainty there will be. We will adapt. We will innovate. We will make good times for ourselves. We will have fun in the bad times. We will find our connections. Like we are capable of finding joy in a cold glass of red wine mixed with the smell and taste of tear gas in a cold winter night in a refugee camp we are capable of finding joy in isolation and loneliness in uncertain time bad times remind us of and make us appreciate good times there is beauty in change there is intimacy in change one that grows between you and the self that you grow into change is independence is confidence change is a storm Wear all your fragilities and dance with it. You will learn its ways and you shall harness its power. Like refugees, go to a new place and learn the language. Learn the ways of new environments and where and how they fit in. We will all learn our ways after this. We will all learn our ways after this. We will all be refugees from this pandemic. From the way we wash our hands, to the way we live our lives, the way we think of ourselves and the way we perceive others. Let us be refugees from us and others, to all of us. Let us be refugees of empathy and compassion. Things might not go back to being the same way, but we will take good things from this with us. The one thing I can tell you, this will not be forever. This too shall pass, and another thing will be.
0: A huge thank you to the amazing patrons who have supported this podcast at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above Valerie Ma, Jumkul Koi, Sara Boom, and Sarah.